For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm, mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. I participate in McDonald's. Our country needs drastically fewer police. If you listen to the last episode of The Breakdown, I asked the question, what's our plan? How are we going to change this thing that people call the criminal justice system, the legal system? Well, part of that plan, and this is much more revolutionary to say today than I think it will be in two years or five years or ten years, we have too many police officers. I mean, we have two to three times the number of police that we actually need in this country. And here's what I know. As long as we have this many police, they will always find people to arrest. It's, it's the, the adage, if you build it, they will come. If you hire them, they will arrest. And as much as we want to reduce the number of people in America's jails and prisons, which we should all want, there are some organizations saying we should definitely cut it in half. I think we should probably aim for more like 80 to 90 percent fewer people in jail and prison. But we won't get there if we have the same number of police officers that we have now. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. I don't trust any plan for sweeping changes with our justice system or our legal system. I don't trust any plan for that that keeps the same number of police that we have right now. Because here's what I know, and I have friends and connections in police departments all over the country. And as I record this, I'm in New York City, and I have friends that are currently working for the NYPD and have retired from the NYPD. And no matter what they say, no matter what we say, it is clear to me and clear to them that as long as New York City as long as your city, as long as Los Angeles or San Francisco or Houston or Dallas or Chicago or Atlanta or your small city or small town or small county, as long as you have in those cities and counties, as long as you have the same number of police that you had at the height of mass incarceration, the number of people being arrested and jailed is just not going to go down the way we need it to. Now, you might have seen on my Instagram or across my social media a series of horrible, horrible videos of blatant, flagrant police brutality right here in New York City. There's one that I shared of police officers just openly in front of everybody punching teenage boys right in the face over and over again without those boys ever laying their hands on the police. I mean, police start hitting them like it's a professional boxing match. And 
that is happening in great part because the city of New York is now flooding our train stations with police officers, all in the name of stopping people from skipping over the the stalls and the turnstiles because they can't pay. Now, they are going to put hundreds and hundreds, thousands actually, of new police officers in New York's train stations all over the city in the name of saving the city and saving the state money because people who can't pay or won't pay are crossing the turnstiles without paying. Now, when you start to do the math, they are going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on police officers who are then going to do what we saw happen all weekend. In another video that I've shared on Twitter in particular, but maybe you've seen it, it happened just this past weekend. The NYPD is surrounding a subway car that has stopped, and the car has stopped, but the doors are still shut. And they are starting to surround the subway car with their guns drawn, poking their guns, tapping their guns on the window over and over again, telling everyone to put their hands up. And people just begin clearing out in fear. And a young man who's sitting there on the train has his hands up calmly because it appears that he is the person that they want. Nearly 20 different officers then rush into the car, guns drawn, brutally arresting this young man who they said they had a tip for gun possession. He didn't have a gun. He was unarmed, nonviolent. Now they say it was likely a bad tip. <laughs> like, people could have gotten killed. Imagine if somebody had moved a certain kind of way. Imagine if somebody had done the obligatory touch of their waist, which police often say is their excuse for firing their guns. They had guns drawn on a young man who had his hands up, who was unarmed, patient, nonviolent, completely compliant, noncombatant, doing nothing of the sort. And they arrested him at the end of the day with 20 police officers because they said, well, we did all of that initially because we thought he had a gun, but it turns out we believe he didn't pay his 275 to be on the train. Do you hear what I'm saying? That if we have this same number of police officers, that's what they're going to do. So all of a sudden what happens is you decriminalize marijuana, you decriminalize cannabis, you legalize weed and make it fully legal in some states. You do all of that and you think total arrest and crime rates and, and police brutality is going to go down only to find out that they're just going to move those officers somewhere else. That as long as police departments in this country right now, we have nearly one and a half million police officers per capita. We have an outrageous number of police officers. And as long as we have that number of police officers, they're going to beat the hell out of people for not paying their $2.75 to get on the train. When everybody, every expert, 
on poverty and access says, listen, there are some people who can't afford to be on the train but need access to the train. Have programs that make the train free for people who can't afford it. Spend the hundreds of millions of dollars that you're now going to spend on extra law enforcement on making the trains accessible to people who cannot afford such a thing. Because here is, here is the fundamental truth. It is preposterous, outrageous to arrest and charge people ultimately with high bails, fines, and court costs who can't afford a $2.75 ride on the subway. Just last week, we talked about how in the city of Austin, Austin, Texas, the governor of Texas is now wanting to criminalize every basic behavior exhibited by homeless people, wanting to criminalize, literally make it illegal to sit in certain places, to lay down in certain places, to pitch a tent in certain places, to stay around a certain place for an extended period of time, as if homeless people are the only people that ever need to sit down. And they're fighting for it all over Texas. Conservatives are fighting to basically criminalize homelessness and poverty. But here's the thing. What happens when you write a homeless person a ticket? They can't afford it. If somebody can't afford a $2.75 subway ride and you arrest them, give them fee after fee after fee that they cannot pay, force them to attend court dates, which they are not even hearing or learning about, you're just criminalizing poverty. And here's the thing. We can go at this in two different ways. When we talk about and ask ourselves the question, what is the plan? How are we going to drastically change this nation's legal system, this nation's justice system? Well, we can begin over and over and over and over again to decriminalize as many actions and behaviors as possible. The United States has millions upon millions of laws. I asked several legal scholars, how many laws do we have? And they came back, I asked them this almost two years ago, how many laws does this nation have? And they came back to me saying, Sean, in this country, we lost count with how many laws our country had years and years ago. It's into the millions. So many simple behaviors that are actually just rooted in poverty or homelessness or despair or addiction or mental health have now been criminalized, and none of those things need to be crimes. So we can and should begin to decriminalize all of those behaviors. But what I'm seeing here in New York, what I'm seeing in Austin, Texas, what I'm seeing all over the country is we can decriminalize things as we should and police departments and the police state and the state governments that control and influence policing will just find other things to be policed. They'll just pivot to something else. It's, it's chicken or the egg. It's, it's cause and effect. So even though we are successfully decriminalizing so many things. And each time we do that, it's an enormous victory to decriminalize drug use or drug addiction or homelessness or poverty or mental health issues. It is 
it takes an enormous effort, and it's just a huge deal every time we do that, only to actually witness police to just pivot to something else. They will pivot to another community or another cause or another concern that they have to begin policing. And the answer is, we need fewer police. And we should be fighting for it. And the resources that we use in those police departments can be used with prevention, can be used with social services, can be used in basic ways for our education systems, for after-school programs, for enrichment programs, for drug treatment programs, for mental health services. All of the tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that go into America's police departments, jails, and prisons. That money needs to be diverted to other areas to prevent people from ever entering the so-called justice system in the first place. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That until we have fewer police in this country, all we'll get is different versions of the same thing. They won't arrest and beat you for the weed. Although I do have to say, we are finding in many places where marijuana has been decriminalized and even legalized, police departments are still finding ways to police communities on this, and the racial disparities are just as outrageous as as they always have been. At the end of the day, we're just going to need fewer police on each force, city by city, county by county. Hey, everybody, I'll be right back after a quick word about our brand new sponsor. In our home, we have seven people with two adults and five kids spread across a staggering 22 different electronic devices. We have laptops and desktops and phones and tablets and TV boxes and video game consoles and more. And my wife and I have found out the hard way that you can't just assume that all the apps and all the programs that your kids are going to use are safe and wholesome. But it's impossible to manage and monitor 22 different devices. I know because I tried. That's why we love Circle. It's a brand new system that helps you safely and effectively manage your family's online time across all of their connected devices. Because here's the thing. I set up all the parental controls on my kids' Apple products, and I felt really good about myself, thinking that I had everything covered. But then I realized I missed the Xbox. I missed the Roku box. I missed the Nintendo Switch. With Circle Home Plus and the Circle app, parents can filter what content is allowed, you can set limits for screen time, and you can monitor the Internet history and usage on every device. Now, here's the thing. You'll never stop worrying about your kids, but with Circle, you'll have one less thing to worry about. And here's the great news. Right now, our listeners get $30 off of Circle Home Plus when you visit meetcircle.com backslash break and just enter break at checkout. Again, you get $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com backslash break and enter break at checkout. Again, that's meetcircle.com backslash break and enter break to save $30. And when you do so and you get your circle system set up, 
Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. We want to make sure that this is working for all of our listeners and families. I'll close with this. This is a shortened version of a story that I tell often. I tell it live when I travel. I talk about it some in my book that comes out uh, this coming year. My family moved from Atlanta to Southern California. We lived in Orange County, and we moved from Midtown Atlanta to Irvine, California, which is a suburb about 40 miles south of Los Angeles. And at the time, Irvine was listed as one of the safest cities in America. In fact, that year, it was listed as the safest medium-sized city in the entire country. And we had lived in Irvine for a few days, then a few weeks, and a few more weeks went by, and a few more weeks went by, and we had been there for nearly three months, and I realized I never saw a single police officer. Not one. Not on the road. In fact, the first police car that I saw was just parked in a grocery store parking lot, a Ralph's parking lot. For some of you, Ralph's may be called Kroger. (laughs) But in Southern California, it's Ralph's. And... I saw a police car in a parking lot of a Ralph's and I had a friend of mine take me uh, not inside of the police station, but take me by the Irvine police department. It's a little bitty police department. It's a little bitty place that Irvine was listed as one of the safest cities in the country, the safest medium sized city in the country. They hardly even had any police. And I learned a lesson right then and there as I drove past this little bitty police department. Oh, these folk don't define safety by having thousands upon thousands of police officers. In fact, you could speed up and down Irvine's roads and never get a ticket. There were no police. Because they didn't judge safety on how many police they had on a block-by-block basis. They only, states only want huge police departments where police are everywhere, on every corner, on every block. Folk only want that in communities they don't live in. And what we realize is there is a huge racial gap between which communities are heavily policed and which ones aren't. And I learned we lived in Irvine for several years. It wasn't because people in Irvine didn't have drug problems. They had drug problems. Families, adults, children, everybody had drug problems. In in fact, our oldest daughter started high school there, and when she came home, she was shocked by how many classmates were selling, dealing, and using drugs at a prestigious high school. But guess what? They didn't criminalize it. They got drug treatment. They they already decriminalized the very things that we want decriminalized for our communities. Here's the thing. We want the same number of police, like the same per capita rate of police in our communities that they have in Irvine. I'm curious. After today's episode, I'll go back and see just how many police officers they have in Irvine for the entire city. And I'll report back on a later episode because that's not the same ratio we have in other cities. We need fewer police all over this country. And when we do, those police can finally be dispatched primarily on issues of violence and danger, not on policing poverty and despair. 
break it down. Thank you all so, so much for listening to this episode of The Breakdown. If you have not already subscribed to this podcast, why not? We need you to subscribe, and you can subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any podcast app that you use and love because we'll be right back here every single weekday, five days a week, unpacking and explaining not just today's news, but issues to help you understand the world better. Today, as we talk about having fewer police, I wanted to unpack and explain that because it's going to be a part of a larger plan that we lay out here in the weeks and months ahead. Of course, thank you so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. And thank you to our associate producer, Lissandra, and our senior producer and podcast director, Willis, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Ragu Old World Style Traditional Sauce. A great sauce starts with the best ingredients. Ragu Old World Style Traditional Sauce is that great sauce. Inspired by our founder's original recipe, Ragu Old World Style Traditional Sauce is made with delicious ingredients, including vine-ripened tomatoes, chopped onions, garlic, and olive oil. Simmered together for the authentic taste you and your family will want to come back to. For recipes, sauces, and mealtime inspiration, visit ragu.com.